got in trouble every now and then? Well, we're real little, we got in trouble. We figured out during choir practice. How many of you had parents that had choir practice when you were kids? And they would like do it in the sanctuary choir loft. And, and so you usually had some time to kill after Wednesday night church service. We figured out on, um, we figured out on Wednesday nights killing time in there that we could get under the pews because the aisles were carpeted, but under the pews were tile. And especially in the wintertime when things were dry and crisp under those pews, you could grab a pew and see how far you could slide to the next three or four. So you reach under the, you reach above and grab it and just, you know. And so I always tried to get my mom to press my jeans so they were nice and crispy, you know, to, to see if I could beat John. But, but unfortunately, one Sunday night during worship, uh, I don't know how it popped into both of our heads at the same time, we... Um, we did it during a church service, during a worship service. And the way we got discovered, we don't know how we got discovered, but the way they stopped it, my dad and John David's dad got up and figured out which pew we were going to end up in, and our stopping point was their legs. My dad wasn't real gentle when he yanked me out from under the pews, you know. Yanked me up out of there, dragging to the back, you know, to get, to get lit up once again. Um... But I loved John. I still do. We're still friends to this day. And I loved growing up around him. I loved church camps and eventually we went to high school together. My family moved. We had a couple of horses. We moved out to River Road. Eventually we got to spend our last three years of school together um, and um, enjoyed, enjoyed those times together uh, immensely. In the New Testament, Jesus has a best friend and he's writing to us in 1 John. In the Gospel of John, in a few places, in the Gospel of John, uh, John, the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved about four times in the book of John. He, he was probably a teenager during the ministry of Jesus. He was probably 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. He's a young man. And he calls himself the one whom Jesus beloved, uh, loved, the disciple Jesus loved. We call him over the years in, in Scripture, in commentaries, we call him the beloved disciples. The beloved disciple. And he's writing 1 John. This is about 50 plus years after the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Where Scripture says, he lives to pray for us. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he lives to make intercession for us. This is about 50 years after that that John's writing. He's probably writing from Ephesus. He's probably writing from Ephesus, but he's writing to the churches in what is modern-day Turkey, in Asia Minor. He's writing to these churches of this bridge that sort of bridged modern Europe to the Far East. There's a place there where travel would come and go, and these churches are in very strategic places. And, and the Apostle John, the best friend of Jesus, is writing to some churches who are in a thoroughfare where there's all kinds of ungodliness and paganism, where the culture is so corrupt that you can't imagine how bad it is. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to us, these trade routes and the paganism and the idolatry that's flowing back and, cross, back and forth across the front porches of these churches in Asia Minor. And John's writing to them, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he doesn't, he doesn't get too far off at all. In fact, at all. He doesn't get off into dealing with any kind of goofy arguments about their wedding, what they're getting into. He doesn't, he doesn't stray off into 
trying to create some apologetic or some Christian philosophy to debate these guys. You know what he does? You know what he's, he's basically saying? If you have a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, if someone comes across your path and that person is messed up, all you need to do is introduce them to my best friend and his name is Jesus. If you come across someone who grew up as a Hebrew or in Judaism, and they're trying to bring Judaism and legalism into the Christian faith, you don't really need to get into a big, you know, a big drawn-out argument with them. Just introduce them to Jesus. If you come across an idol worshiper, someone who worshipped the Roman gods, don't get all bent out of shape. Don't let it disturb you. Just remind them of who Jesus is in your life. Remind them of my best friend, he's saying. In fact, he says in 1 John 5.13 that 1 John was written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God so that they might know that they have eternal life. So in our text today, in our text today, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, the best friend of Jesus by his own description, he's going to speak to us from Inspired of the Holy Spirit from 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. He's inviting us to also become best friends with Jesus. That's our direction today. That's our topic. Look at the Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. He's the Lagos. In John chapter 1, John introduces him just right out of the box. He's the word of God. Verse 2. He, the life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. We write this, these first four verses, but really all of John's writings inspired of the Holy Spirit. We write this to make our joy complete. To make our joy complete. First, I want to give you some facts about the Word of Life. Some facts about the word of life in this text. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. The word of life, Jesus, he's, he's constant. He's faithful. He's true. John's going, to, John's going to go on to write, my Redeemer is faithful and true. And Stephen Curtis Chapman is going to turn that into a song if you've been following his ministry for very long that's going to just make it stick into your brain forever. But he's saying, that which was from the beginning... Jesus, the Word of life, He's unchangeable. He's constant. In other words, He never has a bad day. You ever have anybody in your life at work or students at school? You ever have any friends that you're pretty good friends with, but when they have a bad day, you, you tend to avoid them, right? You're like, I don't want to be drawn into that today, right? Sometimes you don't have any choice. You know, sometimes you just, it's like a vortex of tornado that just pulls you into it. Not with Jesus. He's constant. He's unchangeable. He's faithful. He's true. He's been that way from the beginning. We could go to John and see that he's been that way 
from the beginning before there was a beginning. From before there was time. He's constant. He's faithful. He's true. Second fact about the word of life that John gives us in this text. Verse 1 as well. He says he's real. We've heard him with our ears. We've seen him with our eyes. We haven't just seen him like some, someone passing in front of us, but we've really looked at. We've looked at him. Our hands have touched him. Now that's not true of all these believers in Asia Minor, but John's saying, I was there. I was there. I don't have a second-hand account. I have a first-hand account of this real, constant, unchanging Jesus. And he, he, he is authentic. He's genuine. I heard him speak. I saw what he did, and it drove me to my knees. I was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus looked at the disciple whom he loved and said, Son, this is your mother. Woman, this is your son. To his own mother at the foot of the cross. John says, I, I've seen and touched and felt. Maybe he's mingled his tears and certainly his sweat with the tears and sweat of our Savior. This word of life, Jesus, he's real, he's authentic, he's genuine. It's a fact. It's a fact. Anybody ever say to you, how do you know that God is real? How can you prove that God is real? Does anybody besides me ever get the urge to slap him? You ever want to do that? I've tried to prove in the New Testament that's the, laying, the doctrine of the laying on of hands, you know. Ever so briefly, across the side of the face. How, well, how do you know God's real? Because I know. See, that's what we're trying to get to today. How do you know that Jesus is real? Somebody asks you that because he's my best friend. He's as real as my dad is in my life. He's as real as my pastor is in my life. He's as real as my wife is in my life. I've seen him and touched him and felt him and, and heard him. And he's moved in my heart in a way that is unexplainable by any other means than the Spirit of God in my life. He's real. He's genuine. Sure, we can point to our wives, our husbands, our children, our best friends. We can point to them and go, oh, well, that's, that's real. But isn't Jesus just as real as those? In fact, the Scripture says He's closer than a brother can be to us. John says, notice by the way, I didn't mention this. There's no small talk at the beginning of 1 John, is there? There's no greetings, salutations, good to see you, how you doing? He just jumps right into it and says, whatever is going on in your life, in theological arguments, in a relationship uh, stresses in whatever is going on in your life, the only real teaching I need to give you is that Jesus is for real and He wants to be real in your life. The third fact about the Word of life, not only is He constant and real and genuine and faithful and true in all of those things, he, He's available. He's available. In other words, in other words, he, he, he has an opening in His schedule for you. John's saying he's, he's, not just his, he's not just unchangeable in my life. He's not just historical in my life, but he's open, he's available, he's communicable. Look at the end of verse 2. John says, the, the life appeared and we have seen it. Watch this. I, he says, I testify to it. I proclaim to you this eternal life because God appeared to me. Verse 3, again, proclaim. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. John says, I can't keep my mouth shut. 
This relationship is so good to me. And this best friend of mine, who's not just my best friend, but has an opening in his calendar for you, he is available to you. John's saying, I have the greatest privilege of my entire life, and I want to share it with you. I've had the greatest blessing that any human being could ever imagine. I was the best friend of Jesus, and John, in effect, is saying, I want you to have that same kind of relationship. I'm going to testify to it and proclaim it and proclaim it again, and I'm going to keep talking about it until you recognize that the Savior of the world, the Word of life, the very Son of God, wants to have such a personal relationship with you that you also can call yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, Michael, that's a little arrogant. If you get to that point, do you really care if people think you're arrogant? If you get to the point, let me ask you this. Anybody know who Warren Buffett is? I've been by several of his places in Omaha over the years. I have customers up there. Bill Gates, anybody ever heard of Bill Gates? If, if you got a letter in the mail from Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, billions of $50 billion, I don't know what they're worth now. You get a letter in the mail that says, Congratulations, you've been adopted by Warren Buffett. Congratulations, Bill Gates is bored and he wants to become your big brother. He just accepted you into his family and his checkbook. How many of you think that you would probably tell a couple of people about that new relationship? You couldn't stop talking about it if for real. Now, if you get an email today that says that, it's probably not true, right? You get those sometimes, don't you? I get them from all these missionaries overseas who want to send me millions of dollars. It hasn't worked yet, has it? Listen, it's a privilege. If you become the best friend of Jesus, you hit the jackpot. You found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You've discovered the pinnacle of human existence. He's available. He's open, and it's a privilege. It's a privilege to know him. So, so what? Why does John want us to know these facts? Why does John want us to know these facts? I'm glad you asked. Look at the middle of verse 3. Why does he want us to know these facts about the word of life? So that. It's not as easy as, you know what Pastor Jeff always points out, the therefore? What's the therefore? Therefore, right? So that's kind of the same way. So that. So that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's hammering home what He's talking about. Jesus is constant. He's real. He's available to you. We get to pass Him on to our children, our grandchildren, those we love. In fact, He says, the word of life is relational. A personal. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Notice the word fellowship there. The word fellowship there is the word koinonia in the New Testament. It's also back in Acts chapter 2, koinonia. One of my best friends also, in my, as I got into high school in my adult life, Danny Richardson, he used to go to church here, took a job in Kansas City. Um, Dan, we used to have a Sunday night youth fellowship called koinonia. Remember that, Brad? Back in the day, we called it koinonia. Danny always called it coin in the ear, coin in the ear. So, uh, or corn in the ear. So I've never forgotten that subject. But here's what the word means. John is saying, I want you to have a personal relationship with my best friend. The kind of fellowship that bonds you together. Listen, 
This is a kind of intimacy that even husband and wives can't experience. This kind of fellowship in its private form is a bonding of the Holy Spirit of God because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And when you embrace Him in faith, He creates a bond with you in your soul that is the depths of koinonia, the depths of fellowship. He wants to have a relationship. He is relational. You ever heard the term soulmate? She's my soulmate. He's my soulmate. Anybody ever heard that? Could you explain that to me after church? Because I don't really know what that means. You know, It sounds romantic. You know, I don't really know what it means. But when I think about Jesus bonding himself in fellowship to me as my best friend, I think I kind of get a glimpse of what that means. It's not just fellowship on a personal level, but it's fellowship for us together as the body of Christ. Listen, I asked you earlier to think about your best friend growing up, but how many friends in your life right now could you use the word best to describe your life? How many folks in your life right now could you say, man, I, I got, I got to use all ten fingers to count the men that I can count on as my brothers and my best friends, or the women. Some of you might say, Michael, I, you know, I like only having one or two. Several years ago, I got to fill in for Jeff, and I found a phrase in my study called refrigerator rights. How many of you have people in your life with refrigerator rights? You know what I mean? They don't use the front door. They come in the garage, and they may or may not let you know that they're there, but they're definitely going to get in your refrigerator, right? If you only have one or two people like that in your life, can I tell you something? God wants way more for you than that in your life. He wants you to have the kind of koinonia fellowship that you have with His Son Jesus in your relationships. And if you're in our church today and you don't have very many friends that you could call best, can I tell you how you can get some? Come to our life groups on Sunday morning. He said, ah, here it comes. Associate pastor with his ridiculous sales pitch again. I promise you, if you come to life groups on Sunday morning, and you come to men's group on Wednesday night, and you come to women's group on Wednesday night, or women's group on Monday night, I promise you, watch this, you will develop the koinonia best friends greater than you've ever had in your adult life. I promise you that. How is that possible? How can I promise you that? Because that's who we have with Jesus. And when a, when a bunch of people who have that kind of koinonia fellowship, based upon his constant, constancy and his, his inability to change, based upon how real he is, based upon the fact that we can communicate to people that he's open and he's available. Watch this. When you get a bunch of people together who that have that kind of private koinonia with Jesus, the synergy and the intensity of the public and Family and body fellowship in Koinonia intensifies to a level that we can't quantify with math. Listen, the greater the intensity of the relationships, the greater the results. The greater the intensity of your fellowship with Jesus, the greater the intensity of my fellowship with Him and the pastors and all of us. And when we put that together in the body, John says, that's why I'm giving you these facts. So that you can have fellowship. Jesus is fellowship. He is koinonia. And I'm giving you this so that, John says, 
so that you can have what I have when I camped out with him for three years. When I walked with him and put my arms around him. When I went on the Mount of Transfiguration. When I was there in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin. When I was there at the foot of the cross. When I was there after the resurrection and at the meals and the fellowship. When I was there at the ascension to heaven. John says, I write these things to you. I remind you of these facts so that you can have the kind of relationship with my best friend that I have as an apostle. Say, preacher, you're, Pastor Mike, you're, you're kind of overdoing this here. I can't overdo it. The, the, the intensity of this scripture, the depth of this scripture is such that every single one of us have the opportunity to say that Jesus is our best friend. And I, 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 watch this about the promise of the best friends that you've ever had if you'll plug in here. If you'll plug in here. That will create in you a desire to talk about your best friend that will eclipse the conversations that you were ha would have if you were adopted by Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Because it will change everything in your life. Change everything. The second and we're through. Why does John want us to know these facts? Fifth in our list there if you're taking notes, but second in our results. Um, Jesus is joyful. <laughs> he, the word of life is joyful and he wants to complete our joy. John's talking about himself, but he says our plural. We write this so that our joy can be complete. I think he's talking about the whole body. He's talking about all of these churches across modern day Turkey, across Asia Minor. He's saying, when you get to this point, when you get to this point, based upon the constancy of Jesus, based upon the fact that He's real and He's authentic, He's faithful and He's true, He's open and He's available. When you get to that point of fellowship with Him and together as a church, all of us together, our joy is going to be complete. Do you know what biblical joy is? Don't ever go to a secular dictionary to try to define joy. You know what biblical joy is? <laughs> it's full satisfaction and complete fulfillment in Jesus and nobody can ever take it away from you. It's full satisfaction and complete fulfillment in Jesus and there's not a circumstance in human existence that will cause you to lose that joy. John says, I want our joy to be complete. In the upper room, in John chapter 15, he says to his disciples that my joy about himself, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Again, in John 16, 22, no one can take away your joy. In Luke 10, 20, 21, after the 72 returned from their ministry trip, their mission trip, they were excited because demons were subjected to them. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. To re to you. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And then listen to verse 21. It says this, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on from there. His joy got full when his 12 disciples, plus that next group of disciples, when they went out in groups of two as the 72, his joy was full in the Holy Spirit when they got together and had complete joy and God-honoring fellowship. You want to bring joy to the heart of God? You want to be a best friend of Jesus? Plug into Him and into His people. 
And you'll bring full joy in the Holy Spirit to our Lord. So, we've got four minutes. Let me give you some practical steps that you can take to becoming best friends with Jesus. How to do it. Let me ask you this. How did you, how did you become best friends with your best childhood friend? Number one, spend huge chunks of time together. Spend huge chunks of time together. Play together, eat together, vacation together. In our neighborhood, blow stuff up together, you know. <laughs> Have near-death experiences together. <laughs> the second one, that's, that's write that down, it's there. I mean, if you've got some room left, spend huge chunks, of huge chunks of time together. The second one is, spend the night and stay up too late talking. You say, you're getting a little cheesy here, Carter. It's a little ridiculous. I remember hours of hours. I remember getting in trouble for staying up so late talking to John David over the years growing up. Those, those years of development in elementary school, early elementary, and then when we moved back through middle school and into high school. Just hours of talking about all kinds of stuff. The older we got, the deeper they got, the more things got heavier and Sometimes we were playing games with stuff that played for keeps, but spend the night and stay up too late talking. Can you picture Jesus and the 12 disciples out on the road for three years, not staying up late, sitting around a campfire, talking about everything under the sun? You want to be best friends with Jesus? It's just a suggestion. Spend the night and stay up too late talking. Number three. Read each other's love letters. Read each other's notes and love letters. Now, kids, you're going to get this today with texting. How many of you, by the way, would be honest and say you text in class sometimes even when you're not supposed to? Anybody? Well, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> Pastor Jeff is going to have a message about that down the road for you guys. When we were in school, it was, it was actual paper, wasn't it? Folded up in all kinds of crazy ways. I used to just fold mine into rectangles, right? Most of the guys did. The girls were folding them into like origami and stuff, right? Remember those? You always shared those with your best friends, didn't you, girls? Guys, we did. You always shared those with your best friends. Listen, <laughs> if you want to fall in love with Jesus and become a best friend to the point of the Apostle John, I encourage you two things. If you like to read, read the book of John every day for a month. If reading is not your favorite thing, read 1 John. It's a lot shorter every day for a month. At the end of those 30 days, you're probably going to say, Jesus is now my best friend. You're going to get a glimpse of who he is in a way that you haven't before. You say, why 30 days? Because that will be settled into your soul and no one will ever challenge it ever again. Read each other's love letters and notes. Number four, sing songs out loud together even if you don't know the words. I don't, we don't have any record in Scripture of any of those guys being musically gifted. Didn't you do that with your friends when you were younger? She had electric glue, a mohav boo. You know, I read it in a magazine. We couldn't Google the words back then, could we? It seemed like every Elton John song you had to make up words, right? You say, now you're getting really cheesy. Listen, I'm talking about just letting your guard down, aren't I? Your best friends, you didn't care about how you sounded if you were making up words to songs that weren't even there. 
you just let your guard down and let them into your life. And then last is this. This is biblical, by the way, this last one. Wrestle and fight and cry together. Think of the one person in Scripture who actually had a wrestling match with Jesus. Jacob in the Old Testament. And he had a limp after that too, didn't he? He did. The Bible it's clear in the Bible. Look it up. Wrestle with him. When I was younger, I used to think I had to defend God and defend the Lord Jesus. He can take care of himself. And when you're hurting and when you're broken, when your relationships are falling apart and your checkbook has all red ink in it, just go with him and wrestle with him and fight with him and cry with him. He will get in the middle of your mess with you. And he will change you as a result of it. The Son of God, who paid your debt on that Roman cross, that place of execution, he wants to be your best friend. He's faithful and unchanging. He's real and genuine. He's available and free. And the best friend who ever walked the face of the earth, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to bring you complete satisfaction, fulfillment in him that you can't imagine. We take some steps today to becoming a best friend of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, and we thank you for what, what is just such a simple, simple reminder. And God, thank you for all of the writers of Scripture that you inspired, but God, thank you for the Apostle John that even late in his life, he takes us back to what really matters, the person of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we know that you're real. We know that you want to you have a fellowship with us that we can't even put into words, that the world really can't understand. And you want us together as friends of Jesus, as best friends of Jesus, as the body of Christ. You want us to have a koinonia fellowship that brings full joy to the heart of our Savior. So God, do a work in us. Help us to take the steps today. Father, if there's someone here that recognizes they can't be a friend of Jesus because they've never even confessed their sins and invited him into their lives. I pray that they'd step out and take one of these folks by the hands down front at this altar ministry. God, if there was a couple here or a family here, or an individual here who says, yes, I need refrigerator rights with folks. I need those folks in my life. I want to be a part of this church family and have the kind of quantity of fellowship that I haven't had in a long time. God, bring them to us today. Make that commitment today. Father, if there's somebody here who's just gotten away from that first love, that childhood best friend, the Savior of their, of their lives, the lover of their souls, God, may they step out and be prayed over today. God, this is your invitation time. And we very, we very clearly, God, want to bring joy to your heart today. So we say yes, Lord, to all that you're leading and guiding. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.